morning. Greet you in Christ's name this morning. Thank you, Elliot, for those songs. It's always encouraging to me to sing the songs of of uh, Easter and the death and resurrection of our of, of our Lord. It brings hope and meaning to to life, to what we're about here, and uh, I enjoy that. One of the one of the assumptions uh, in church can be that um, we know all the basics of Scripture enough that we don't need to be reminded of the basics. A gospel-believing church rarely hears the gospel preached because we know the gospel and we we believe the gospel. So we preach about theology and eschatology and all the ologies and the raising our parent raising our children as parents and uh, holiness and sanctification we, all those topics but the gospel the, the the basic gospel we rarely preach because we know that we need all these other things but what happens is the very thing we feel so confident that we have is pushed to the sidelines because we know that and Eventually, we start to, the thing that is assumed becomes marginalized and eventually forgotten. Maybe not in our generation, but in the generation to come. I hope that never, that we never forget what Christ has done. The songs we sang this morning, what he has done on the cross for us, is not something that we ever forget or we tire from hearing that the gospel at Sandy Ridge is is an essential part of, of who we are. The title of my message today is The Lord's Supper. As you can see, we have that up here. It's, I want it to be simple and I want it to be basic um, for the purpose of remembering. That's why we are here this morning. It is possible by the way of not remembering. Maybe that is what we read the stories of the children of Israel, how they, and we wonder, how could they ever? God did so many miracles, and yet over time, over generations, they forgot God and followed after other gods. Is that how? That they forgot to remember? They didn't remember? It takes years, maybe more than a lifetime for this to happen, generations. And what one generation holds in reverence, the next marginalizes and it becomes irrelevant. They consider it mundane and it becomes irrelevant to the next generation. And the following generation becomes to despise the very things that generations before they, they reverenced. And uh, the children of Israel are a prime example of that. They ultimately forsook God and, for, and followed after the gods of the nations around them. How, how, what a tragedy! When I think of it, it brings me a deep concern for us. Where in the, in the line of coming or going are we? And we don't have to be forgetting. We can be remembering. And that's what I want us to be able to do here in, um, at Sandy Ridge. 
And so it brought some questions to my mind. What are the things that I, what are things that I have marginalized to the side as important, but we're not talking about it? And how will that affect those that follow after, that are coming after? I hear a lot of, in the last number of years, of, of anti, anti-tradition. But that's just a tradition. We, don't, we marginalize it. We anti this and anti that. All those voices that are out there. Why do we do the things this way? Surely there's a better way. Maybe there is a different way. Maybe, maybe there is a better way, but let's not forget that there is a way that we've come to where we are today. And um, now let's not act quickly, but let's consider the past and consider the future. What is a good way to, to come to a good end, to, to finish well? And the act of remembering, in this act of remembering, We can ask the question, why is it this way? Why this tradition? And come up with, with biblical answers. Jesus was one that knew that we needed to remember. It was he that said, this do in remembrance of me. It's written on the table in front of us here. This do in remembrance of me. Today as we have communion, the Lord's Supper before us, it's not something secretive or, or, or dark, behind closed doors, that kind of thing. And if you're not a member here, you're welcome. We're, this, this is a service of, of, you should not feel uncomfortable. This is a service, service of remembrance so that we don't forget what Christ has done for us. I would like to read this morning out of 1 Corinthians 11. And we'll, this scripture will come up multiple times this morning, especially as we go into the, into the partaking of the communion emblems. But I'd like to read that this morning. Again, this is a very basic and very foundational. Why do we do the thing that we do? 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 17. I'm going to read and then we'll, we'll pray and ask God to bless the reading of the word. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Paul addressing the Corinthian church here. <clears throat> Now in this I declare unto you, I, I praise you not that you come together, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. He's reprimanding them here at the beginning. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that, that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before, another, before other his own supper, and one is hungry and the other is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto, the, unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do, as often ye drink, 
in remembrance of me. For as often as ye drink, excuse me, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For, we, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we open the word, the holy word of God before us, the words that you had Paul write to the Corinthian church, and it's for us to consider. And this morning, Lord, as we open it, allow your Holy Spirit to speak through the word into our hearts. What is it, Lord, that you would have us to know that the interpretation might be clear and and, and scriptural. Help us, Lord, to, to uh, through the word, be more grateful, be more remembering of your suffering because of what we read this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Six points I'd like to consider this morning as to why or how we celebrate, how we partake, commemorate, the Lord's Supper. First point is the historical foundation of why we have the Lord's Supper. We see here in our in the scripture that we read that that Paul in verse twenty, in the midst of his his uh, talking to them about how they're coming together, he says, "When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper." He's condemning them and saying, it should be the way you come together to eat the Lord's Supper, but that's, the way you're doing it is not the way you should come to the Lord's Supper. So that's where we get the wording. The, the, that's where the, the first time we're hearing this, this term, the Lord's Supper, that's the historical beginning of the Lord's Supper. Historically, it's the last supper on the last night before Jesus was crucified. And Luke the, the Gospels, all, the first three Gospels talk about this Last Supper in detail, and they talk about how Jesus took the, the bread and the, the cup and he, and he thanked, the, thanked God for it, blessed it, and how he broke it, um, how that supper unfolded. John doesn't talk about the supper itself, but he, he does mention it. In John 13, 2, it says, it's this scripture, it says, and the supper being ended, so he's referring to the supper that happened. The devil having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. We know that scripture. To betray him. So the supper having ended. In Luke 22, uh, it tells us the story of how, how that supper unfolded. And he instructs them to do this in remembrance of him. 
So that is where the historical foundation of celebrating the Lord's Supper comes from. Jesus did it for his disciples and he instructed them, do this in remembrance of me. In verse 26 of the scripture that we read, we read uh, Paul telling them, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he come. And in the verse just before that, when Jesus was speaking, he said, this do ye in remembrance of me. That's where it all started from. That's the historical beginning of this of this Lord's Supper. A ceremony of remembrance built on an actual happening, an actual supper that happened to actual people, an actual command of Christ, do this in remembrance of me. It's more than tradition. It's more than a Mennonite thing. It is scriptural. That is the biblical foundation. Point number two is a believer's participation. There is some, there's some debate on who should partake of communion. There are some that if you're there, if you're present, then all that are present partake. Some have closed communion. You need to be a member of that church or you do not take part in of that particular body of believers or you do not take part in their communion. We believe here that it is proper for those that love the Lord to partake, the partakers to, be, to, be, to, love, to love the Lord. And as John has often said, we don't have closed communion, but we have close communion. Meaning that those that are of like similar faith that are amongst us, attending over a period of time, whether someone's teaching at a school close by and attends or has, is married and is part of this, that comes and attends regularly, if they are of like similar faith, then at times they may also be invited to commune with us. We are close because our faith is in the same God. It is the partaking of those, thinking on, on a believer's participation, the, the partaking is of those that want to, desire to remember the suffering that Christ has done for us. And it is within us the knowledge that without reminders, it is possible that we, for, we will forget why we do the things that we do or what Christ has done for us. If we don't remind ourselves over a period of, a long period of time, we will forget. Believers' participation. We see in, let's consider what Paul says to the Corinthian church here in verse, in verse 18. He says, and this is still in his, in his uh, telling them that they're doing it incorrectly. For first of all, when you come together in the church, he's talking to people that are coming together in a church, believers that are gathering in the church. In verse 20, he says, when you come together, when believers come together, verse 33, verse 34, all, when you come together, it's, it's a time when, when, when people come together, that's when we have the Lord's Supper. It's the gathering of the believers to commemorate the, um, the Lord's Supper. This is a time of, of unifying, coming together in unity as a body. In, in the chapter previous, chapter 10, verse 17, it says, For we being ma many are one bread. It's a unification. We come together with one realization and one cause that Christ died for us, suffered for us, and we commemorate that. 
There's a sense of unity. There's a sense of peace because we have one focus and the focus is Christ. Are we all perfect? Completely where we should be, where we ought to be? No, but the failures and the flaws that we have are under the blood. I love that picture because it reminds me of that first Passover which the Lord's Supper has replaced. When, when there was blood applied to the door lentils and the, the death angel passed over them because the blood was applied and in the same way today, we come to this communion table and if the blood is applied, God deems us worthy. Believers' participation. Is it ever right to do it privately? I think there are times when someone's, when there are shut-ins or if someone's at a nursing home that a few go and they participate in communion. That could be right and good. But it seems more proper in the context of the gathered believers. And what if there are unbelievers present? What then? The Lord's Supper is not a ritual. It's not a secretive eating done behind closed doors. There's no, no magical qualities in it. And there's no, there's been in years gone by this sense of, you know, there's flesh and blood. There's this, this pact going on. Some may have portrayed it that way. No, this is a praise service. And we welcome those to come and observe. If you're a new believer or a seeker, consider what we're doing and the things that we're doing and why we're doing them. Is it scriptural? In verse 26 it says, for as oft as ye eat this drink of this bread and drink this cup, ye show, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. That the Greek word where it says ye do show is a word that means to proclaim, to declare, to preach, to speak, or to teach. Matter, matter of fact, in the New King James, if you have a New King James Bible, it doesn't say to show, it says proclaim. The New King James, the ESV, ASV, the Amplified, all use that word proclaim. So it's something that we're not hiding anything, we're proclaiming. This is what Christ has done for us. It's a proclamation. So we want people to know. And what we do today is a proclamation of what Christ has done for us. It is, it is his, the historical significance of it, the, the believer's participation and then point number three, it is a physical exercise. We do do it in a physical way. We have a, a two-course meal before us, a two-course supper, very simple. In Matthew 26, verse 26 and 27, he says, And as they were eating, referring back to the when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples and they were eating the Passover, he had sent his disciples to go prepare the Passover. And as they were eating, it says, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks. And the same, it was something that they physically did. It's not what we often view as a supper. But it's not meant to be our physical nourishment. It's meant to be a spiritual nourishment to us for our, for our spiritual man. We have, we have bread and we have juice. Just a note on on the bread, we do not read anywhere what type of bread it should be. Or not that I can find. It doesn't specify the type of bread. Some use normal bread, homemade bread. 
I remember growing up as a boy, they had a nice loaf of bread, took chunks out, passed it around. Some use crackers. We use an unleavened bread. There's no specification in Scripture. I believe God is allowing discretion for each congregation to decide how they want to commemorate, and, and it's, all, it's, it's okay. And I am totally satisfied with the way we do it because in my mind, when, when Jesus, when they were having their upper room experience here, um, when he told them to go prepare for the Passover and they were eating the supper, there's a good possibility that Jesus broke unleavened bread. In Luke 22, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that just for accuracy here. Luke 22 verse 1, it says... Pretty specifically, it says there that um, now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. The feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. So there's a good possibility that they were up there preparing and they had unleavened bread. And Jesus, when he was eating and he broke a piece, was, it was unleavened bread. And so we use unleavened bread, and I, I, I like that. But it's not wrong. I don't believe it's wrong to use other types of breads to represent the broken body. The cup, there are varying opinions on this as well. Some say it should be wine. Some say it should be juice. But again, we don't have a clear... God has allowed it for the discretion of the believer. It only says it was the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine. This allows flexibility. And I believe, again, that we have made a good choice here at Sandy Ridge. One of our guiding principles states, and I'll read what our guiding principles states. He says, we maintain that no habits should bring us into bondage. No habits that would bring us into bondage should be permitted amongst our members, such as intoxicating beverages. So, to remain consistent, we have chosen to serve juice. And I think that's wise. There's a freedom here to commemorate in whatever way we deem that honors God. It's a physical exercise. The frequency, Scripture doesn't mention frequency either. And we partake twice a year. Some do it monthly, some quarterly. Again, there's a freedom for the body believers to make that determination. It doesn't specify that in Scripture. It shouldn't be so frequent that it becomes mundane or it's just something we do all every Sunday. We become mundane or complacent in it. We don't want that to happen. But instead it should be something that is a special service that we remember. There's a reverence, there's a joy, a remembering of why we do this. And that brings me to point number four. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance. A mental exercise where we we remember. It isn't a service about going and listening to a good sermon or special singing or all those things are fine and good and they have their place. It isn't about efficiency and how can we do this as quickly as possible. Let's get this, let's get this thing down pat, you know. How fast can we process through this? It's about remembering. Let's slow down and process. Consider the cost of our salvation. We want to remember Christ did this for me and for you. 
for us. Consider Jesus suffering and broken. Jesus on the cross, bleeding, praying, crying out, and dying. It is, it is seeing Jesus rising from the grave, pictured in your mind. Jesus stepping out of the tomb, stepping across the soldiers that lay there as dead. Breathing in the fresh air. Victory, victorious out of the grave. It's remembering. I can see him glancing at his nail-pierced hands and maybe there's a smile at the corner of his mouth because he knew that he was victorious. It's about us remembering. And when we stand here in several minutes, we stand with a piece of bread or a cup in our hands. Allow your mind to do the very thing that Jesus has asked us to do. Remember, You should have a mental picture of what we're commemorating. This is my body. Verse 24. Take it. Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. I think we should remember that there was a broken body for us. Jesus was that lamb, that spotless lamb that was taken and, and sacrificed for us. John, John the Baptist, when, in John we hear, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He was the Lamb. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world, he says. He was the Lamb that at the Passover was, was slain for the blood, to supply the blood for the, lentil, the, the doorposts. Jesus was that Lamb that was slain for us. In 1 Peter 2.24 it says this, Who his own self bare our sins in his own, in his own body on the tree, that we being dead in sin, should live unto righteousness. He was that lamb. This is my blood. He says, for the cup, he said, this is my blood. In Hebrews 9.22, it says this. Let's remember as we drink of that cup. This is my blood. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. It says in Hebrews 9.22. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That is why Jesus said, remember my blood. It is an exercise of, the of our minds to remember, a conscious effort to remember, a conscious why behind what we're doing. It's not just a lame tradition that we do. It's not something we need to, need, need to get a grip on and move on. This is reality. This is history. This is, this is the believer's history. It's a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Number five, it's a spiritual exercise. And as important as remembering is, and as essential as that is, it's not the key. The Lord's Supper is a spiritual exercise. The physical is merely emblems. And it's a reminder. But to grasp the significance that is the true spiritual meaning of what is happening here is key. When we use the word partake, we partake of the body and the blood of Christ. We understand that that, that partaking is not, is not a physical thing. It is a spiritual thing. We separate ourselves from the, from the, the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, which is saying that it becomes a physical 
thing. It's not physical. It's spiritual. We are partaking in a spiritual partaking. Where does this idea come from? If you turn your Bibles back one chapter to chapter 10 of of, uh, 1 Corinthians, verse 16. Um, Actually, I'm going to start at verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which ye bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which ye break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for ye are all partakers of that one bread. Verse 18 says, Behold, Israel after the flesh, the Israelites, are not, are not they which eat of the sacrifice, of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? He's asking a question here. The Israelites, when they, when, when they ate the sacrifice, he's asking, are, were they not partakers of the altar? What, a, what an interesting way to say that. In verse 16, when it's saying, is, this, is it not the communion of the blood? Is it not communion of the body? That word communion there has the idea of participation. Are, are we not participating in the blood and the body of Christ? It's actually translated participation in the ESV, in the NIV. It's a familiar word that we know as fellowship, koinonia. We've probably heard that word before. Is it not koinonia with the body of Christ? It's, 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 it's a fellowship, the word we use for fellowship. In verse 18, it uses that same root word, koinonos, when it says, when it says there that... Um, are not they which eat of the sacrifice partakers of the altar? So, so picture with me. The, a man comes to the temple with his sacrifice, and he wants to sacrifice it because he knows he needs to have the covering of the blood to cover his sins. He takes it to the priest. They slay the, the, the sacrifice. He puts it on the altar. It is burnt on the altar. He takes some of the flesh, and the, the man eats his sacrifice. But here he says, is he not a partaker of the altar? The part that he didn't eat the altar, he ate the sacrifice. So what is, what, what is he trying to say here? What does that mean? I think it's trying to say that everything that the altar commemorates, every, the sacrifice, the, the, the slaying of the, uh, of, the, of the sacrifice, the blood, the all of those things, what it represents, the covering of the sins, the, the restored re- relationship with the Father, all of that can be embraced by taking part of that part of that sacrifice. It encapsulates the shared participation of taking that sacrifice. It encapsulates all of that. And in the same way, when we physically eat the emblems of the communion, when we commune, we are also participating in the body and the blood of Christ. So by faith, we embrace all that, all that Christ has done. We, we embrace that for ourselves. We take it into ourselves. And it becomes part of us. Namely, the forgiveness of sins and the restored fellowship to the Father. 
So is this important, an important remembrance? I think it is. I believe so. We are by, spiritually, by faith, consuming all that Christ has done for us. Under the, under the physical eating, there's a spiritual eating. I know it's, it's difficult for me to grasp all of the significances of this. Jesus said to the woman at the well, he said, if you, if you drink of the water that I give, you'll never thirst. Drink of what water? The, he, he didn't have any water. He couldn't get water out of the well. It was too deep. What water is he talking about? It's a spiritual drinking. Unless we stumble at the spiritual eating, I'd like to read, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter, St. John chapter 6. He speaks there. Familiar verses. I'm, I'm sure we've, we've read these before. Chapter 6 of John, verse 32. I'm going to read 32 through 35. And he's talking to, um, Jesus is talking to the people here, and he says, Then Jesus said unto them, verse 32 of chap, chapter 6, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, which is he which is he which came cometh down from heaven. For the bread of God is he which came down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So he is the bread of life. In verse 40, 48, he again says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Is he speaking of a physical eating? No. He's speaking of a spiritual eating. I am the living bread which cometh down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The words of Jesus. The bread that I give is my flesh. And this morning we commemorate the broken body of Jesus. It is a spiritual exercise. When we partake of these emblems, there are probably things in the spiritual realm that we, we probably don't realize what's happening all. God wants us to participate in a, in a physical communion to remember mentally, to remember what He has done, and He wants us to feast spiritually. My last point, point number six, is that it is a sacred, is the, the sacredness of communion. communion. It, it says it best here in 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to read the text. Let's read the text slowly and, and thoughtfully as we read here, starting in verse 27. Consider in yourselves, what, what is God saying here in verse 27? The sacredness of the Lord's Supper. 
Wherefore, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. I've stumbled on this word many times, unworthily. What does, what does that mean? Not that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that you need to be, uh, can't come to communion unless you're totally perfect. Can't mean that. The table, the sacrifices exist because we're not perfect. But it means that, that we have availed ourselves to the things that this table represents so that, so that in God's eyes we are covered because we have, we've taken it to the cross. Whosoever drinks, the, drinks of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. If we come and it's not under the blood, then we are guilty. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. When we examine ourselves, it's not that we, yeah, we examine ourselves and find, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm perfect. No, rather we should find ourselves more needy than ever when we examine ourselves. It should drive us to the cross more because we've examined ourselves and we are broken before the Lord and we need Him to cover, His blood to cover us. That's what we find when we examine ourselves and then we come and we partake of the bread and of the cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. If we find ourselves broken and we don't do something about it, then yes, we are guilty. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, then we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. When we are in that trial... God is doing something to bring us back to himself. We are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. We need to take time to do inventory. None of us is good enough. None of us. But because of what Christ has done for us, we can be worthy. That's the beauty of this whole, this whole picture. This is serious. Yet a joyous service. Don't, don't approach the Lord's table in a cavalier manner, in a, in, a, in a careless, casual way. It's not playing church. This is serious business with God. It's sacred. We're remembering what our salvation costs us. Because there is no one worthy to do the sacrifice. But there was one that was worthy and one that was willing. And Jesus came and did that which was necessary for our redemption. And so it is a service. The service today is a, a service of gratitude and love. It's a love feast. It's been called that already because of what Christ has done for us. So my encouragement to you this morning is as we commemorate, remember what 
our salvation has cost us. Let's take a moment and kneel before the Lord and pray. I'm going to give a couple seconds here as we consider this Lord's Day, what we're about to participate in, to give a time here of quietness where we can remember what God has done for us. Let's remember. Lord, you have, in your word, you said there's none righteous. No, not one. How can we then be worthy to come and celebrate these emblems? It is only because those emblems have made us able to be worthy before your sight. Your sacrifice, your, your, your dying on the cross... While we were yet sinners, you died for us. And because of that, we can be adopted as your children. And we're so grateful. Lord, would you, would you instill in us a measure of knowing in our remembering, a, a measure of knowing how valuable this sacrifice was, that it would never become marginalized, that we would always remember and that we would be able to sing and praise you because of what you've done. And we would always glory in the fact that we are not worthy, but what Christ has done has made us worthy. Help us to remember, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.